0: Excuse me? If you, did you do it according to the instructions? Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Thank you. Each evening, we'll have uh, a talk on different aspects of working with and transforming the judgmental mind. And sometimes there'll be more information or stories. And the invitation is really to listen with all of your being, really, to um, find to take notes, but also to kind of listen with the heart and the whole of one's being is is a suggestion. And I also want to uh, appreciate the practice today that, um, as we've said a few times, the first day of a retreat, even with, for pretty experienced people, can be challenging, right? And how many people had maybe some kind of really wanting of something to be happening that wasn't happening? Okay. How many people had some not wanting of something that was happening? <laughs> okay. How many people had some degree of sleepiness? Okay. How many people had some restlessness at some point? Okay. How many people had some doubt about the wisdom of being here? Or some, <laughs> some, other <laughs> some other kind of doubt about what's going on? So I've just gone down a list, as many of you know, of what are traditionally called the five hindrances. And we actually, I I prefer better other translations, sort of the five difficult energies that are completely normal and common um, in our practice and especially at the beginning of a retreat. So if this was all happening, no problem, you're right on schedule. (laughs) And it's important to know. And it's also important to see the hands go up, isn't it? Because one of the ways actually the judgmental mind works is it becomes very selective about what information it pays attention to, right? And it, we often think, "I am uniquely problematic." Very, very common. And so, to see other people's hands up, we can know that we are collectively problematic. <laughs> I could say it a different way: that we that we're. I, better to say it, that we are collectively right on schedule and and actually uh, doing well. So, and again, I want to appreciate the uh, the sincerity of just coming back. It's, it's not, it's not easy. And it, it generally, as those of you know, who've done retreats, it does generally get better. There is a settling and so forth. So this evening I want to explore the, really the nature of the judgmental mind and how we transform the judgmental mind and give a kind of an overview and orientation a little bit more than I did last night about our, our practice together and some of the, some of the trajectory of, of um, how we can develop. So maybe first just a few short readings to give us some... Um, Sense of the judgmental mind. Some of it over time and history. This is from the eighth century. Okay, this is from uh, from India from uh, Shantideva. It was one of the one of the great uh, writers and practitioners of the Mahayana tradition. Wrote the well known book, A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. Bodhisattva, is someone dedicated to helping both self and other. And that book is like the Dalai Lama's bedside reading. So he said this, a crazy, untamed elephant in this world cannot inflict such harm as the sufferings of the deepest hell caused by the rampaging elephant of the mind. So the elephant was kind of a metaphor for uh, a wild and uh, dangerous force, a wild elephant. Here's something from uh, Mark Twain about judgments. A little bit different from the sense that that I and we are using uh, the sense of judgments, but it's helpful. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. And here's, here's, um, here's an account by someone who was in a group with me working to transform the judgmental mind. It's her story. Mm. I told my uh, 10-year-old and 12-year-old grandkids that I was taking a course on transforming the judgmental mind. I took them to breakfast, and we were sitting at a, at a group table. They started to tease each other, and the 10-year-old granddaughter started to pout and put her hand on the table and covered her face. I told her to stop being a drama queen. Later, she told me that by calling her a drama queen, her feelings were hurt, and I flunked my judgment class. (laughs) When she looked at my face, she smiled and said, now we are even. (laughs) So, and then maybe, maybe one more. This is a cartoon called The Surgery, and it shows a man in a hospital bed with a, uh, what looks like a surgeon talking to him. And he has a little bottle, like a foot-high bottle, which has a little version of the man in the bottle. And it says, congratulations, Mr. Meguin, We've successfully removed your inner critic. <laughs> now, if that was possible, you wouldn't need to be here. Right, and uh, there, you know, we we find actually that it is um, not quite so easy, right? I think you, by the fact of signing up for a six-day retreat, I think you you got that, right? That it's uh, it can take some time, and it can be uh, can be challenging, and yet it's it's eminently possible. As with some of the examples I gave last night, I, again we can refer to the uh, scientists of the brain telling us about neuroplasticity, the fact that even though the brain has, as it were, gone down this neural pathway five million times, we can develop new neural pathways and go down different routes. That's essentially what we're doing here. We're actually developing new neural pathways that help us to approach the judgmental mind in a different way rather, again, rather than be caught up in it and be acting automatically. So, you know, I think uh, all of us have seen over the years um, fairly remarkable transformations, sometimes rather quickly. And some things take a while more, you know, and it can take, it depends very much on a, a lot of different factors. So, Last night, I gave a basic account of how we're using the term judgmental mind, how I'm using the word uh, judgment and judgmental. And I, dis- I made a few distinctions. I distinguished between more neutral uses of the word judgment, like an artistic judgment, a judgment by the engineers about that bridge, and so forth. And we in English, we use the word judgment in that way. I went outside and judged that the weather would be sunny and warm today. We sometimes use that language. And we also use, and I think it can be confusing, we also use the word judgment often to mean judgmental, which can be confusing because there's that, can be that ambiguity. And sometimes we think any function of judging in the mind, including what I was calling the more neutral ones, can be a, is a problem, you know. You can read people or hear people who who say that, and I don't think that's quite uh, accurate or or helpful, you know, because we're really seeing the really the nature of the judgmental mind is particularly this uh, combination of some kind of noticing, some kind of observation, with reactivity. Now, that in some, we'll see in some forms of the judgmental mind, that is not so obvious. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. But a lot of them, it is obvious, you know, that we can see that um, we notice someone's behavior. You know, maybe we notice someone's behavior and we say, that person is so obnoxious, right? And um, we're noticing something that's important to notice, but there's some reaction there's some reaction which leads to the judgmental mind. Or um, maybe I'll give... Here are some examples from uh, the recent uh, presidential primary season. I won't say who these were. Um, One candidate judged another candidate as utterly immoral, as a pathological liar, a bully, a narcissist at a level I don't think this country's ever seen, and a serial philanderer. The criticized candidate, in turn, judged the other as lying, unhinged, desperate, wacko, making crazy charges, not able to function under pressure, and not having the temperament to be president of the United States. So they might have been each picking up on certain things, right? But But there is also reactivity. Right. Here's an example of some judgments. This is from a cartoon series called Rhymes with Orange. You know, it has uh, six panels. And the first is choose someone and compare yourself unfavorably to that person. These are varieties of judgments. Okay? And listen, as I give some examples of the judgmental mind, listen to see if there might be some noticing linked with reactivity, you know, and maybe in some of them the reactivity is more obvious, but just listen for that. Examine your face closely in the mirror. Notice all flaws. (coughs) Relive embarrassing awful moments that occurred years ago. Make a mental note of all the people you regularly disappoint. Disregard all compliments, especially from people who supposedly love you. <laughs> it shows a woman talking to someone else. The other woman says, you look great. And she's thinking to herself, don't patronize me. <laughs> and then last, resign yourself to believing that from now on, this is what you will always feel. Right, so we get a sense, There's obviously, a lot of suffering there. But we want to start <coughs> noticing and exploring... Um, judgments, in the sense of products of the judgmental mind, and so maybe think of any judgments that may have occurred in your mind today about yourself or about someone else. Anyone want to share one, one or two or three of those? Maybe not about other people here. <laughs> That it could could be, or you can maybe make it so that the innocent or guilty are protected. Mm-hmm. So, anyone want to share just one, and I'll I'll repeat them. Yeah. So I had a realization that uh, my husband was judgmental. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and were you judgmental and thinking him judgmental? <laughs> it feels judgmental. Yeah. So he's. Would, did you say he? He is judgmental. Now, what's interesting, and as we listen to these, what's interesting, is that the same words can sometimes be non-judgmental, and sometimes be judgmental, depending on the tone, the energy. So I could say, you know, you know, uh, my husband is judgmental, right? And I could actually, the way. That, might tone of voice just there uh, maybe could even have some compassion, right? right? Or, uh, and you could also say, my husband is judgmental. Same words, right? Interesting, isn't it? So it's not just the words. It's the other aspects, the tone, the energy, and so forth. Another example from today. Anyone want to share? Please. Less than? <laughs> I didn't hear? No, it was less than optimally taken care of. OK. OK. Tell me how you said it in your mind. You expressed that a little more <laughs> dressed up. I thought, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, this gardener doesn't know how to garden. Right there. Now that's properly judgmental, right? <laughs> OK. So again, can you, even there, listen? We, we want to get used to, can you hear, there is some discernment there, isn't there? There's some noticing that could actually be important. Remember, the goal of what we're doing is to take the discernment, disentangle it from the reactivity, and use the discernment for the purposes of, communi- of compassionate action and communication. That's, that's where we're going with this. So you could have that same insight... Do your deep transformative work this week and then leave a very kind note for the gardener at the end of the week. <laughs> right. So yeah. Yeah, it's causing you aggravation. Yeah, well I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that. Yeah. Let me get take an example and if you can just give the judgment maybe without too much of a, a story, so I, and I'll just repeat that. Yeah. I had the same response, but mine came from sadness as Well, say your judgment and look. Oh, the, the gardens not care of. Say it as if you're judgmental. I'm so sad that these plants are overrun. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, not quite fully there in my, in my view, but yeah, these plants are not. These plants are just overgrown, right? Yeah. Okay. But thank you. Uh maybe one or two more. Yeah, please. I do not know what I had to say. I irre irreparably damaged my children for all eternity. I have damaged my children for all of eternity. True, I thought <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Well that's that sounds judgmental. <laughs> yeah, I think that... And you know, in that again, in that one, if we look at it, maybe there is something valid that you're noticing, but the the heaviness of the judgment is is there. Yeah, maybe. just to say, maybe just say the judgment. Yeah. Can you say it a little louder? Yeah, after coming to so many retreats, I still fail at keeping my mind still, right? Right? And again, can be some noticing. The mind's not still, but if there's reactivity. Okay. Last one, okay. Um, this morning was the first morning that I helped in the kitchen. Yeah. And I was scurrying around like a little rat, and I realized this is my mindfulness practice. <laughs> Oh, I thought, oh, okay, maybe tomorrow's a better day, but this was not a mindful. Can, well, can you say it so it's a little that you're, it sounds like it's very reasonable. <laughs> 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 can you say it judgmentally? I mean, what I'm sure. You thinking, Susan? <laughs> yeah. What were you thinking, Susan? That, there you go. Okay. Yeah. I'm not trying to, you know have us habituate further to our judgmental minds, but, but just, to get some, just to get the examples out there, because I think that, that's helpful. So what, what we can do, and maybe even for those who didn't report, maybe think for yourself of a judgment that you either found today, or maybe that's been there in the last week, judgment of either self or other. This is just for yourself. You won't have to share it. Just bring it to mind. Maybe feel what it's like in the body, when, when that's present, what the emotions are. And then see if you can have a sense, is there some noticing or discernment there, first. Something that might even be helpful or important. And then is there the reactivity? Again, often we can know the reactivity through the tone, through the, maybe the tension in the body. And the invitation is going to be to really study the manifestations of the judgmental mind closely. When you study them closely, particularly we're going to be emphasizing how they are in the body, the emotions, and the particular storyline Because when we study those, including in a retreat, we start to get aware of um, how the body goes with some typical judgments, such that when they occur in daily life, the aim is to see them as soon as possible after they arise. That's partly where the training goes. If we can notice them as soon as possible, that means we can bring our tools to bear rather than being taken away for an hour, a day, a month. You know? And so uh, often we actually, when we study the, how them, how they manifest in the body, we may sometimes notice the way the body is before we notice the mind working. Because you know? we may be so wrapped up with the mental aspect. So for example, when I was studying judgments closely, I noticed that I would sometimes, my hands would tense, and my chest would cave in some. And after, after noticing that, I, I could actually notice my hands were tight. I would say, okay, look at, look at what's there, right? So this is for each of us to see how the judgments manifest. And we'll do some ex- further exploration on this tomorrow, you know, in, in, the, in the morning session. So many, many examples of judgments, judgments of self, uh, judgments of others. I may be, okay, I have another one here, let's see where this is. Yeah. There, there is there's one all cartoon also where there's a man standing in front of an elevator and there's a, uh, a little being on the person's shoulder who says, keep pressing it again, it'll come more quickly." <laughs> Do you know that one? <laughs> the, the judgmental mind manifests at the elevators. It manifests, oh, you chose the wrong checkout line at the supermarket again. Or the wrong line at the toll plaza or whatever, whatever, right? So the humor can be helpful with the judgmental mind because it, it, there, there are humorous aspects to it, right? And humor can give spaciousness as long as it's not mean humor, right? And so... Um, we want to just get a sense of all the times it manifests, you know, the driver in front of me at the traffic light with a cell phone who makes me wait an extra 2 or 3 seconds. <laughs> right? Judgment, ah. right? <laughs> you know, and you know, if you're tuned into the social dimension of electronics, you might even quickly go from a judgment to a generalization about the negative effects of cell phone culture on community and empathy and all sorts of things. So um, we want to just get a a sense of these. And, of course, a lot of the judgments can be difficult. You know? Um, You know, that um, at a period, one of the times that I was studying judgments a lot, I had been working very hard. I was... uh, connected with a graduate school, I was very busy and I um, over—I had been working for about nine years with this place and I went to a, a two-month retreat and I noticed that I was very judgmental of myself that I had not adequately attended to my spiritual development um, that I had wasted my time in some way it was very harsh you can imagine that maybe that echoes some, with some, sometimes we, we can go there, right? We can judge that the way I've lived for this period of time, I can be very harsh. And you can hear some harshness there, right? And then, of course, we c- it can be very poignant. And uh, we can really um, be extremely hard on ourselves. I think we know that. We can be very hard on others. Being judgmental with others can obviously fray relationships or lead to them ending or deteriorating. You know, I, I've noticed sometimes in, um, um, in intimate relationships one very uh, major uh, dynamic is that one partner judges the other, who then in return judges the first, and they're off to the proverbial races, right? That it, it can get to the point where that can just lead to a breakdown of communication because both feel in a sense, attacked, not safe, right? Not, not seen. So we want to get a sense of, the, of all the different ways that the judgments manifest. Judgments of others, judgments of ourselves, judgments of public figures, and so forth. I think as, as we were exploring a little bit in the questions uh, this morning, I think there is a strong cultural piece to the judgmental mind. You know, again, my own speculation is that some of, particularly the self-judgment, has to do with the level of individualism and being more of an individual. We don't see the same dynamics in other cultures. We see other kinds of judgmental energy, not so much self-judgment, right? I think, I think it's, it's very pervasive. When the, when the Dalai Lama first came to the United States, he came in 1979. and He actually came to um, where I was living for about eight months, which was at the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. And I, I was living there for eight months. And I didn't have to go to Asia to see the Dalai Lama. He just came to where I was living, <laughs> which was nice. And we had a a time of uh, questions and answers. And someone brought up, uh, and they they were on on sheets of paper, so so someone just read someone's comment and question. And the question was something like this. I don't think I deserve love. Please comment. (laughs) And the Dalai Lama um, didn't get it. And he went back and forth with his translator. He speaks pretty good English, as as many of you know. He went back and forth with the translator. And finally, he blurted out in English, you're wrong. (laughs) Which is very un (laughs) Lama-like. You're wrong. And he later said that he did not understand the depth of Western self-hatred. Of, West, of the self-hatred of Westerners, he did not get that. Again, they have plenty of issues in his culture, but they're not—they're different. Right? And and he actually said I, he actually talked with psychologists, and he said I need to study this. And he studied it for two years to try to get a better sense of what was going on. Right? And so there are these cultural aspects um, that are are there. Um, You know, I mentioned I think last night that one of the dimensions that we'll explore some in the retreat is not just the self-judgments that might be there for different reasons or the judgments of others, um, but also that there's uh, there's a dimension of the judgmental mind that's not always brought out by people who talk about it, which has to do with our social conditioning. That, we, you know, in the society we have many hierarchies, as, as you know, around gender, race, educational level, um, sexual orientation, and so forth, right? Probably, you know, probably could list 10 or 20 of them. And they're, they're all, they're, the hierarchies all have an upper and lower, you know, that are, that are dominant. And to the extent that we're on the lower end, of the hierarchy, we will internalize the message in some way that we're not okay, right? And we will get that in certain ways. And if we're on the upper end, we will get the message that we're actually better than. Right? So you can see that. And it's actually very, I think it's very important to uh, look at that, you know, and it's a whole dimension of judgment work, which I think is emerging, right? And so this is from uh, Margaret Cho. You know, the, uh, who knows Margaret Cho? The, oh, wow, look at that. Anyway, this is from her. And this is pointing to some of these dimensions of um, internalized um, judgment, you know. And again, we sometimes use the term internalized oppression. And I've coined the phrase, I don't know if anyone else uses it, but internalized privilege as well. Internalized. Internalized privilege. Yeah, again, any, any one of these 10 or 20 different dimensions. Margaret Cho, if you are a woman, if you're a person of color, if you are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, if you are a person of size, if you are a person of intelligence, if you are a person of integrity, then you are considered a minority in this world. And it's going to be really hard to find messages of self-love and support anywhere. Especially women and gay men's culture. It's all about how you have to look a certain way or else you're worthless. You know when you look in the mirror and you think, oh, I'm so fat, I'm so old, I'm so ugly. Don't you know that's not your authentic self? But that is billions upon billions of dollars of advertising, magazines, movies, billboards, all geared to make you feel shitty about yourself so that you will take your hard-earned money and spend it at the mall on some turnaround cream that doesn't turn (laughs) around (laughs) shit. As they say, pardon my French. (laughs) Um, When you don't have self-esteem, you will hesitate before you do anything in your life. You will hesitate to go for the job you really want to go for. You will hesitate to ask for a raise. You will hesitate to call yourself an American. You will hesitate to report a rape. You will hesitate to defend yourself when you are discriminated against because of your race, your sexuality, your size, your gender. You will hesitate to vote. You will hesitate to dream. For us to have self-esteem is truly an act of revolution, and our revolution is long overdue. So, get a, a sense. And again, familiar to many of us, but get a sense of how there are judgments also on the social level that we all have to navigate. Again, some of them more obvious, some of them more hidden. You know, I think the, the internalized privilege is more hidden. You know, and so it's... it's um, but still, still quite important. My own explorations of the judgmental mind, I think, began when I started meditating. And we were given instructions to look into uh, judgments and use labels. And I would just you know, be meditating, and I would just notice judgment. Okay. In, out judgment. <laughs> you know. And and that's part of, the, you know, again that's the first form of mindfulness I mentioned earlier in the day that we want to actually just notice when their judgments there. And that again it kind of breaks the uh trance in a way or it breaks the breaks the habit just to notice that they are occurring. And that's a really crucial way to start exploring. And you know, for me as I Explored more. That was probably my major way of exploring judgments for quite a while. And then I had some other phases of looking at judgments. One of them was when I was uh, working at that graduate school, and they made me um, uh, they made me chair of the faculty of the whole faculty. And my phrase for it again, pardon my French or English is you know my phrase for it was. Chair of the whole goddamn faculty. <laughs> Sorry, but that—that was—that was on my mind. So there was some judgmental energy, right. and and so um, what I was experiencing though was I I had to go to meetings with the um, president of the school and uh, with my my I think. For some of the time, I had a co-chair, but we had the kind of meeting of the president of the school, the dean, me, and typically one other faculty member. And I started noticing soon in those meetings that I was becoming judgmental towards the president, the president of the school, not of the United States. (laughs) That can happen also. So I would be there and all of a sudden I would find myself off somewhere being judgmental and kind of almost like emotionally leaving the room, right? And I was uh, at the time working with a mentor and she instructed me to take these meetings as very focused practice periods, which I did. And so I would do, you know, I had to take public transportation, I would do walking meditation and be mindful in the public transportation and just try to explore in these meetings what was going on. And I started to find myself um, seeing some patterns. It's part, partly when we study the judgmental mind, I mentioned there were kind of three main ways of being mindful. First, we just notice and we label. That's a starting point, very crucial. And then if the judgment is around a little more, we explore it. What's it like in the body? What's it like in the mind? This is presupposing that it feels workable, right? That it's actually, we can actually be mindful that it's manageable. Sometimes the judgments will come when we're really vulnerable and be like an attack. At those moments, it's probably too hard to be mindful. At those times, we want to do what we can to come back to balance. Sometimes it's just to, shift the energy as much as we can. I was mentioning we can do that with sometimes with metta or compassion, self-compassion and so forth. And sometimes it's actually appropriate just to say to the judgment, not now. And be firm. You know, if it's overwhelming. If it's if, it's, if we're getting caught in it. But when we, but at times we'll be able to work with judgments and so it actually can be helpful to explore the judgments that are maybe in the middle range, not the most intense, right? Explore the ones in the middle range. What do they feel like in the body? What's going on? And I'm encouraging that here at the retreat. Every time a judgment occurs and it lasts for a while, what's it like in the body? Very, very crucial. Again, so that we can see it, notice it. The whole idea is that when we do that, the likelihood is that we're more apt to notice the judgment sooner, and that makes all the difference, right? Notice the judgment soon after it occurs, rather than after many hours, right? It makes a huge difference in our lives in in, in daily life. So I was um, starting to explore this judgment, and it took a while. And I go, I was going to say that the third way of working with judgments using mindfulness sometimes involves some reflection after the fact. It's seeing what are the patterns. What triggered the judgment? What led to it? And so I could find out, in this instance, that I typically would get triggered when I would bring up a point, and he would um, apparently, uh, well, he would very, I'll, I'll describe it neutrally, he would very soon go on to another topic, right? In my judgmental mind, it was, he's not listening. Yeah, I think a fair amount of accuracy, right? Many of my colleagues had similar stories, right? So it wasn't made up. But I would, and I studied it more, and I would find that in this was, I also could find that in other parts of my life, I would get really judgmental and reactive when I thought someone wasn't listening to me. I think it's pretty common, right? I mean, I think part of our nature, what we most want is to be known and seen, listened to, heard, Etc. Right? That's very close to the heart of what we want in life. Right? And so this wasn't happening. And then I studied it and I started to see that I would there was a pattern. I would say something. He would change the subject. I would uh, retreat to what I came to call a place of distanced moral superiority emotionally withdrawn. <laughs> well, emotionally withdrawn distanced moral superiority how many can sometimes have that occur right Right. so so I got to know my pattern and then as I worked with this practice I started to study and I you know this happened over months and I was trying to relate to him and sometimes mention you know that I had a point that I wanted to go back to but what I came to most I was doing a lot of inner study and I came to see that there was a way in which um, the reaction was very automatic A lot of our judgments they're like bam bam right someone does something and you, we just go somewhere this is habitual energy and this is part of what we work through in this work we're doing and and so it's actually helpful to see that a lot of our judgments are very automatic. But we, what, I, what I found myself doing, though, was studying those reactions. And over time, I was able, in a way, to bring everything into a kind of slow motion. So I'd be there, and I'd try to notice. I'd go in there and say, when this happens, I'm just going to really pay attention. And I started to notice that there was... Uh, a moment where it was actually painful. It doesn't feel good to say something and just seemingly be ignored, right? It didn't feel good. And I started to feel there was some pain there and then I could feel the judgment starting to arise and wanting to take me away. And increasingly I became able to be with that painful feeling. And this is actually one of the keys to the judgment work, that as we get closer, we can find that beneath the judgment, there is often some pain. Think of all the examples we just brought up earlier. There's some pain there, right? And this would make sense in terms of the uh, basic Buddhist psychology when I was interpreting judgments in the judgmental sense as a form of reactivity, right? The reactivity is typically reacting against the unpleasant and grabbing hold of the pleasant. So this is, you know, this, this is what I found, that of course it's unpleasant, but the interesting thing about judgments is I didn't really know it was unpleasant because it was bam bam, just like that. And I had to really inquire and go a little more deeply to find that uh, there actually was a moment of pain. And I found if I could actually stay with the pain and feel it, I wouldn't go to the judgment. I wouldn't go to the judgmental mind. That there was a way in which um, the the judgment was, in a way, protecting me against feeling the pain. And in, in later work, I explored that a lot. I actually did practices, similar to what we'll do probably starting tomorrow, where we can actually take judgments and see if we can actually notice the underlying pain. Because what I came from looking over a number of years, I came to the understanding, ultimately, that the judgmental mind is a kind of defense mechanism. It protects us against feeling that pain. And it may have been useful at some point developmentally, but for most of us, most of our judgmental mind is not that useful, right? is connected with personal, interpersonal, social suffering. Right? But that sense of, the, of noticing the pain beneath the judgment is both a way to understand it and see it a little differently and also suggests a way to, that the transformation occurs. That if we can actually go into the judgments and touch the pain, often the judgments dry up. And with some pain, that's harder than at other times. That's what I found in my own experience. And again, I did this practice where I would continually try to, when I noticed the judgment, which for me would mostly happen on a verbal level, I would then go and try to go into the body and feel, is there some pain around my heart or in the body? And after a while, I started to be able to see that. You know, and even with small things, you know, the driver at the cell phone with the cell phone uh, at the light doesn't start on time. You can actually go, okay, let me feel the pain there. There's some pain of impatience, right? Right, that's a, I'm using pain simply to mean something unpleasant, not, not physical pain per se. Does it make some sense? There's a, there's a, let me see, there's a very powerful passage. Let me see where this is. Um, uh, James Baldwin. Uh, really said the same thing. This is what he said. He was he was referring to kind of the, the judgments related to race and, and social phenomena. He said this, I imagine one of the reasons that people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. That actually explains a large number of social phenomena, doesn't it? And so you can see how some of this work is actually, has a lot of implications for uh, larger dimensions, for social dimensions and so forth. But does that make some sense, how, how, how judgments are in kind of an unconscious and automatic way covering over pain? And so we can, as we practice, and it's also one of the reasons why, as we go more deeply into the judgments, we sometimes go into that pain which is not always easy. That's why we need to have this sort of twin approach, where on the one hand, we go more deeply into the judgment, which often takes us into the territory of pain. Some of the pain is from when we were four years old. Some of it is social. You know, it's of different nature. And um, when we touch it and heal it, the judgments get transformed. It's one way to look at it. And we'll be looking in more depth as to what that means in the next few days. And, but we, we've kind of over the years developed this approach where we need on the one hand to be able to go into the judgments, which often takes us into difficult territory, sometimes painful. But then on the other hand, we need to go into more beautiful states. That's why we're emphasizing the heart practices, the loving kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness, the joy. And we could also add being, being with beauty, that in a way we uh, need to have this second approach where we spend a certain amount of time going into beautiful states, into awakened states. And I mentioned earlier that these... Uh, both help to balance the psyche as it's sometimes going into hard territory, number one. Secondly, that the being able to access easily beautiful states, awakened states, heart states, becomes a resource when we get stuck. We can actually call upon those resources to help shift. Huge thing, you know. Middle of the night, judgment attack at three in the morning about something that happened yesterday call upon compassion, call upon self-compassion. It can work. Instead of being up for the next hour in torment, you can actually, if the, if the practice is strong enough, you can shift actually pretty quickly. And then thirdly, we shift the center of gravity where we're spending more and more time, you know, with with the beautiful states. And that's the, that's kind of the logic of the transformation. Individually, we may sometimes feel called to really investigate the uh, the judgments, be with that. That may be, may be very interesting to go more deeply into them. Sometimes we may feel, you know, the judgments have been really strong. I need to hang out with beautiful states, kind of to uh, adjust the balance, <laughs> right? And, and so it may be entirely appropriate to hear this map and say, I think I need six months of being with beautiful states. Right, anyone up for that? <laughs> okay, and that would be, that could be very skillful. I remember one person I was working with, she was, she, was, she was studying the nature of her judgmental mind and how she was judged, particularly at a series of family gatherings. Yeah. I encourage research during family gatherings. There can be places of deep practice, okay. but they're, for many of us they're advanced practice, so don't go necessarily right there. Okay. And so she was doing this uh, practice where she was actually feeling judgments coming at her and seeing what was arising in her mind, and she would actually go to the pain. And it was beautiful work, but it was getting to be a lot, it was getting to be a little bit too much. And she came to me and said, this is, this is hard. Help. And I said, OK, one month of joy practice, <laughs> just to kind of to work with the balance. So again, that's helpful to hold that. And we'll be exploring more um, you know, in all the heart practice sessions and some in the, in the talk tomorrow, just some, further some of the nature of, the, of those heart practices. So for myself, after doing a lot of work with that president, I had another period of doing intensive judgment work, uh, a lot in retreats, um, where I often just did that practice of going from the judgment into the pain over and over again, studying the judgments. And after a period of actually several years exploring my own judgmental mind, it felt like I'd come around a corner and uh, I had one particularly uh, uh, auspicious dream, um, particularly in relation to self-judgment, where I had the dream that in my um, my bedroom there was a uh, FBI wanted poster with me on it, <laughs> and I said in the dream, "I think it's time to take that poster down." And I said, "Oh." working (laughs) right and so uh, yeah it it, the the work goes deeply I think you get that and we work with a lot of automatic tendencies Um, one of the one of the powerful aspects of this work is that when we actually look at the judgmental mind it gives us a very direct pathway into fairly deep transformation and I think if I say why, it would make some sense. You know, I, I, th- I think of some of you uh, read Freud and know that he talked about dreams as the royal road to the unconscious, right? And I think of judgments as the royal road to transformation. Because, and again, if you think about it for a while, it can make some sense. A lot of our um, sort of unconscious Well, let's say, a lot of the structures of our self that are fixed, unconscious, and linked with pain get to be very solid, right? We have these senses of self that can easily get triggered, right? And um, what the judgments do is they actually take us in to see a lot of these basic structures of our self, particularly the ones that are very old, habitual, and connected with reactions, you know maybe like my maybe like my pain at not thinking people were listening to me right it was, an, it was an old one and it it could can can have maybe some rigidity to it and what i have found in myself and others is that when we follow the trail of judgments we get to see some of these more fixed patterns of self and have the possibility of transforming them have the possibility of working with them, ones that may have been there for 20, 30, 40 years. And the the work can help to bring them to light and transform them such that where previously there was pain and reactivity, there can be more an awakened state, more aspects of uh, beautiful states of mind, awakened states of mind, awareness, compassion, love in the place of narrowness and reactivity. That's the potential. And we'll give you uh, all the tools you need. And we'll, tr- we'll try to support everyone to keep on going with it. Because it, we have to, again, We do not have the expectation that this will all be resolved on Sunday. (laughs) But we have the expectation that there can be some significant glimpses of shifts and some important insights. And we hope that there's enough so that, that you get inspired to continue, take it home and so forth. Community is very important in doing it, you know. Maybe I'll, I'll just close with a, one or two comments and then maybe, maybe a poem or two. Um, it's really crucial to do this work in community that uh, what I have found in working with groups over the last uh, 15 years is that when people come together and share some of their stories, we basically see how similar our minds are. And that is a tremendous relief, actually. Like I said, even though uh, we may share some challenges. It makes a huge difference to think we are not uniquely problematic or flawed and that the patterns are very, very similar. That, I mean, it's um, what I find in the people I work with, that that, that is freeing and it, it helps prevent that stuckness of feeling I am uniquely problematic. Or so There's something weird with me or, or wrong, which, is, which can be quite common. So we'll be... We'll be talking about community some, that sense of support, and in many ways, we are a temporary community. And we we hope that the, that sense of the um, way this is really shared, you know, we each have our own particular dynamics, but the core way this all works is shared by all of us. And uh, that I find is uh, actually hopeful. It actually is helpful. So let me finish. With um, just a few, a few lines, and a maybe a yeah a poem. Okay, maybe two poems. <coughs> this is from the uh, Jewish tradition. This is from the, the Midrash. And I don't know the original word probably in Hebrew that, that they translate judgment is, but I like, the, I like the translation, so I'm using it. Okay. Great are the righteous, for they transform judgment into mercy. Great are the righteous, for they transform judgment into mercy. And then a poem from uh, Pablo Neruda. This is really about kind of a poem that really points to the nature of the judgment work. If each day falls inside each night there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. That's our our practice. And then lastly, um, this is from uh, Antonio Machado, the Spanish poet. Uh, talking about how ultimately when we do the transformative work we, ha- we get gifts from the transformation of our judgmental mind. This is a-, a poem relating to that. Last night as I was sleeping I dreamt that I had a beehive here inside my heart and the golden bees were making white honeycombs and sweet honey from my old failures. You get it? (laughs) The golden bees were making white honeycombs and sweet honey from my old failures. Yeah, so let's just sit for a moment. We'll have a chance, um, if there are any questions, to uh, bring them up uh, tomorrow morning and after at the end of the nine o'clock sitting. So thank you for your <laughs> kind attention. and we'll have a walking period now, and we'll come back at nine for probably a brief. Uh, Eve and I will be here, uh, maybe maybe Robin and Shahara, but we'll have a brief uh, sitting, a little briefer than we will later in the week, and a, and then we'll do a little chanting to end the evening. okay so um, walking period, then a, a shorter sitting than usual. So it'll probably be, you know, 15 minutes, something like that, rather than the full half hour. So, okay. So thank you again for your attention.